Hello, Rachel here with a brief, I guess a public service announcement and errata to explain something about the episode that you are about to hear. And if you listen to all of these episodes where we discuss the play scene by scene, you're going to hear this message multiple times. And I apologize for that to. This important information is that there is a method that my co-hosts and I discuss called Original Practice Shakespeare that we have since learned was not original practice to Shakespeare at all. There is zero evidence to suggest that Shakespeare's actors did not rehearse their plays. There is zero evidence to suggest that they always faced the audience at all times. In fact, we know that to be patently false. So I go into this in more depth in the episode of the podcast under that title about what is original practice and Shakespeare and early modern rehearsal and play production methods. Were not you even now with the Countess Olivia? Even now, sir. On a moderate pace, I have since arrived but hither. She returns this ring to you, sir. You might have saved me my pains to have taken it away yourself. She adds, moreover, that you should put your lord into a desperate assurance. She will none of him. And one thing more, that you be never so hardy to come again in his affairs, unless it be to report your lord's taking of this. Receive it so. She took the ring of me. I'll none of it. Come, sir, you peevishly threw it to her, and her will is it should be so returned. If it be worth stooping for, there it lies in your eye. If not be, it his that finds it. I left no ring with her? (laughs) What means this lady? Fortune forbid my outside have not charmed her. She made good view of me indeed so much that sure of me thought her eyes had lost her tongue. For she did speak in starts distractedly. (gasps) She loves me? Sure, the cunning of her passion invites me in this churlish messenger. None of my lord's ring. Why, he sent her none. I am the man. If it be so as tis... Poor lady, she were better love a dream. Disguise, I see thou art a wickedness. Wherein the pregnant enemy does much. How easy is it for the proper false in women's waxen hearts to set their forms. Alas, our frailty is the cause, not we. For such as we are made of, such we be. Oh, how will this fadge... My master loves her dearly, and I, poor monster, fond as much on him. And she, mistaken, seems to dote on me. What will become of this? As I am man, my state is desperate for my master's love. As I am woman, now, alas the day, what thriftless sighs shall poor Olivia breathe? O time, thou must untangle this, not I. It is too hard a knot for me to untie. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Twelfth Night, or What You Will, produced by Rose City Shakespeare. These are the sessions where we sit around and babble about the scene that you just saw, and we'll tell you a little bit about the scene that's coming up next. And I am talking to my two wonderful co-hosts, both of them directors who've worked a long time in this field and directed productions themselves, John Bean Cheers. and Bridget hey. Riley Beauchamp. <laughs> so here we are, Act Two, Scene Two, and I will summarize quickly for our listeners. This is the scene where Malvolio, on Olivia's hurried, flustered, and embarrassed instructions, tells Malvolio to bring a ring to Cesario Viola, and she lies to her steward Malvolio, saying that Cesario Viola had left it. When we as the audience, and of course Viola, know that's not true. She just pulled a ring off her finger, probably one that mm. Malvolio had seen her wear for years, <laughs> hands it to him, and asks him to go give it to Viola. At which point, Viola says, trying to play along a little bit, she realizes that Olivia is lying. I think it's interesting that she kind of, rather than accuse Olivia of lying, she says, she took the ring of me, I'll none of it. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Kind of covering for her in a way that mm -hmm. feels yeah. very mm -hmm. feminine to me, mm -hmm. or certainly very gendered where men will sometimes cover for other men, women will sometimes cover for other women in certain situations. And then uh, Malvolio says, whatever, I'm not bringing it back, throws it onto the street. There it lies in your eye, if not to be it his that find it. Basically says, I don't give a fuck, turns on his heel and walks away. And then Viola gives one of the famous, mm. I can't even snap my fingers today. <laughs> and then Viola gives one of the most famous monologues in Shakespeare, certainly one of the most familiar if you're ever a director and have auditioned people. And it starts with, I left no ring with her. And she goes through this really talking out loud about she's realizing that Olivia is what is in love with her. Um, what do you see in this? What kind of emotions do you two see Viola going through in this monologue? <laughs> uh, well, I, um, this, for me, this is one of those really, one of the reasons it's done so much is it is really a character defining moment. Um, one of the things that, you know, one of the basis, basic beliefs of original practices is whenever possible, talk to the audience. Um, and this is of course a wonderful opportunity for Viola to really engage with the mm -hmm. only other people who know the truth. Um, there is no fourth wall. Break that practices. fourth wall. Um, it is, it is, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm saying mm -hmm. in, in general, as I'm not saying as uh, original, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying yep. that that's, that's yep, a theatrical yep. term. But, um, she, talking to the audience, so this yeah. is, you know, the audience is the only other company member who knows what she knows. Um, and so they are the mm -hmm. only person that she can turn to <laughs> like, ah, um, you know, and mm -hmm. it is, she is so kind to Olivia in this speech, you know, so, Lovely. Yeah. you know, mm -hmm. so willing to extend a generosity of spirit to a woman who has just made everything so much more complicated for her. And there's no recrimination and there's mm -hmm. no accusation, um, you know, and even with Malvolio, who's just kind of a little shit to her, she's not even nasty to him. She's just like, I, uh, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Um, and she just, she just has, there is a purity about her where she's like, I cannot believe I have gotten myself into this pickle, you know, disguise, I see thou art a wickedness, wherein the pregnant enemy does much, you know, that, that, that her need to dissemble, to stay alive, has now entangled not only her heart, but this innocent bystanders as well. Such a great point. And I, poor monster, mm -hmm. you know, she almost takes it on herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah completely and then she's like oh time thou must untangle this not i it's too hard or not for me to untie it's like i i have clearly made things super complicated and somebody else have to figure it out exactly i am yeah. way over my yeah. head yeah it's really it's way just over such a lovely head. piece of of commiseration and of sort of like almost pleading with the audience to can you help me figure this out because I'm totally stuck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's interesting what about like, you, John? the difference what, between this and Olivia's moment of revelation, you know, because um, and both just revealing such wonderful inner worlds, you know, mm -hmm. and these, like you said, Bridget, and, um, you know, you've, Viola's always got that kind of, uh, camaraderie with the audience almost like we're all in a storybook together mm -hmm. like we're you know in this kind of can you believe these mm -hmm. circumstances and she you know she says uh, uh uh what will become of this i poor monster as i you know i i'm desperate for my master's love but as i am woman but then she uh it's she's almost as em emphatic and and rhapsodic about olivia's pain as her own oh mm -hmm. with thriftless size you know mm -hmm. and uh, she's got just as much passion mm -hmm. like you said for for mm -hmm. everyone else's sorrow and so she really is this touchstone mm -hmm. for this whole thing this engine mm -hmm. for this whole thing to be working and it's it's really great to see that moment mm -hmm. of purity um sort of you know viola's uh needs and kind of desires are sort of central to the movement mm -hmm. of a lot of the uh, play, but it, the play is really about everyone else's desires. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's really like all, all of these huge mm -hmm. machinations are happening constantly. And um, she's, she's kind of the, the, 
the moon coming into the different scenes, you know, mm. over the, you know, top and shining, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a light in their force and then on to the next and on to the next. She exists in all of the worlds mm-hmm. of the play, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and so it's it's interesting to to see that um, th- that energy, but but without um, the total self interest. I think mm-hmm. yeah, exactly mm-hmm. like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Whereas here also, though, mm-hmm. one of the things I've always mm-hmm. loved about this is it's an opportunity to see Malvolio, and it's in a situation. It's easy to throw this away for Malvolio, mm-hmm. but um, it's one of the few. In, uh, not incredibly dire moments for, mm. for Malvolio. You know, he gets into some really serious stuff mm. and he um, is involved with some sort of major machinations, especially in the second half of, of the play of, mm-hmm. of what the others are doing. Um, definitely involved in, in stuff with Olivia. Um, but it's, I just like the, I've always liked seeing him on a city street here, mm. you know, like it's out of his element. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's, I agree. Mm. I, or, or maybe even in it. Uh, because obviously he would not mm. have said any of these things around Olivia. I feel like we're seeing kind of the, the real Malvolio just mm. having a bad day. And he's like, take the damn mm. ring. Fine. I don't care. Whatever. Uh, and I feel like, too, it sets up really clearly what their relationship is about she doesn't Mm -hmm. care about him she is not somebody that he can intimidate and it shows really clearly that she's above him in status in spite of the fact that she is shipwrecked dressed as a man Mm lying to everybody she can still just say no you know i i you're wrong that's not mine whatever um if try to think of a good way to say this so uh my fellow directors you have heard this monologue delivered a few times in auditions and I think we all understand why it's a popular monologue, especially uh, for women who are asked to produce a monologue from a female character. Mm -mm. There just aren't that many that have this kind of emotional depth and growth. Ground map out. This isn't. We're not Mm -hmm. coalescing the vapors of human existence Mm -hmm. here. This isn't like you know some existential chasm that we're we're running through it's this is going to happen in this and she's going to say this and he's going to do that and here's the incredibly important Mm -hmm. way that i feel about it so it's got it's like all the good stuff you know (laughs) it does it does and because it is so lovely and so wonderful oh yeah it does tend to get used quite a bit and so i'd like to maybe the three of us can give some advice to actors wanting to use it as a monologue. I don't want to tell you not to use it because it's a fantastic piece and done well, really, you just never get tired of hearing it, but it needs to be done really well if you want it to stand out just because it gets done so many times. So um, when I'm going through actors 
on a monologue and I'll talk about what you do and then I'm counting on you two to, to mm -hmm. tell me what your tricks are too so I can steal them. But basically we want to look for the emotional beats here. So here's this first, this very first, and it's like a beat of one line. I left no ring with her. What means this lady? Mm -hmm. Like that's one beat, right? What the fuck is happening here? And then already the next one is another beat where she's realizing where the horrible truth is dawning on her. She's no longer questioning. It's like, fortune forbid my outside have not charmed her. Holy shit, she's fallen in love with my appearance as a eunuch. Um, and then it's kind of, ex what do you think? Does it, ex it continue that beat in the next line or does it change again where she's kind of reasoning through it? She's going, well, she made good view of me. In other words, she was really staring at me. Indeed, so much that sure me thought her eyes had lost her tongue. <laughs> Such a sexy line. Oh my gosh. And yet, who among us has not been there if we've been in love and we're just like staring at somebody and all that came out of our mouths was, uh, <laughs> what is your parentage? <laughs> um, and then for she did, to me, this kind of continues that for she did speak and starts distractedly. Oh, she loves me, sure. The cunning of her passion invites me yeah. in this churlish messenger. Yeah. And that's it, Malvolio where we start that she's to, talking like, I don't about know, for that. me, I'm, I'm starting to get a sense in here of something else besides the uh, um, uh, dictates of her, of her uh, needs and wants, right? By uh, her interaction with Orsino and what Olivia wants mm -hmm. her to do and all that. But here it be, is a seed planted with... First of all, this may not have been the first, necessarily the first time, it's certainly the first time she's probably articulating this, but the seed of this idea um, of how well she's doing as Cesario or not, um, I don't know, there's something in here. And then mm. as we go into the next line, I am, you know, there's mm -hmm. something, uh, there's a pride there and there's a, uh, 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 it's emphatic enough that I don't know. It warrants. There's there's more than just, uh, um, yeah, the normal you know kind of. You know, she's, there's it's it's concern for Olivia, and then her own fate. But then there's something I don't know. It's always struck. Yeah. No, I hear I hear what you're saying. There there's this where she says, "I am the man," and I that's yeah. such a pivotal point. Because all this, up until this point, she's been worried about passing. And now all of a sudden, she's realizing that she passed a little too well. <laughs> and her worries, her concerns are completely pivoting from, oh my gosh, I wish I had a beard. You know, I, I, I'm so terrified of being discovered that I am not what I pretend to be to the point of, oh, my gosh, this was way yeah. easier and more dangerous than I thought it was going to be. Um, and she kind of continues that into this 
exploration of, of disguise. Into yeah. Yeah. Poor lady. She were better love a dream. And we almost I almost get the sense that she's talking about her and Olivia at the same time, where she's saying, Poor lady. Um, disguise I see thou art a wickedness wherein the pregnant enemy and uh, here listeners pregnant means hidden it doesn't necessarily mean with child um, but it's a nice pun you know it's it's got those extra layers how easy is it for the proper false in women's waxen hearts to set their forms now this is kind of a sexist statement i'm just <laughs> It really is because it implies the belief that uh, women are fickle, that they're changeable, that they follow these sort of, uh, uh, what's the words, uh, shit. that they follow these passions, these impetuous passions without really thinking about it ahead of time. And yet throughout the whole play, it shows both men and women behaving in that way. Uh, and the fact that she is saying, I am the man. In Elizabethan times, strange as the sounds, people believed that if you wore the clothing of the opposite gender, that you did in fact start to take on the biological secondary sexual characteristics of that gender. And so she is saying, I am the man. I am becoming a man. And I see now how men look at women. I see the way that we look to men. We look like we will just go along with anything. That if you can't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And there have been books written, PhDs defended, about how when you're somebody in the less privileged class, that you do have to go along to get along, that you do have to say yes to things that you want to say no to, because you don't have the status to be able to say no. You you aren't allowed to have a firm opinion about something because you're supposed to be taking on the opinions of the people who think themselves to be your betters. And that is partly why this monologue is so interesting and why mm. it will probably never die <laughs> because it speaks to these deep gender issues and these inequalities between the genders that our culture still struggles with today. I guess I should hope that it, we get to a point that we evolve to a point where this monologue makes no sense and people are reading it going, what, what are they talking about? Why would a woman have a waxen heart? Um, so let's see, she's going through this whole realization about men and women and then she says, alas, our frailty is the cause. And this is where she makes it really clear. Look, we're not in this society. 
we are not allowed to be tough. And as us living in the 21st century, we can say, well, nature or nurture, but you know, the fact is that men do tend to be physically stronger than most men tend to be physically stronger than most women. So she's talking about that, how that makes us susceptible. Our frailty is the cause, not we, for such as we are made of, such we be. How will this fadge? Fadge means work out. How is this going to work out? How is it going to get sorted out? Yeah. Uh, my master loves her dearly, and I, poor monster, fond as much on him. And monster there means that she is that she's this conglomeration. She's a combination of things all stuck together. Fond as much on him and she mistaken seems to dote on me. What will become of this? And it goes on. As I am a man, my state is desperate, blah, 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 blah. Oh, well, time thou must untangle this. It's, it's interesting here because the so, specificity, yeah. I'm sorry, Bridget, was I? Mm -mm, I no, 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 no. No, oh. Um, the specificity is interesting here because we get a general sense of where, you know, of what she means and where she's coming from. And the, that it's so easy for the metaphors to get sort of mixed up here, you know, with the different who's this and who's her, you know, like when we're talking about the, as I am man, my state is desperate for my master's love. As I am woman, now alas the day. What thriftless sigh shall poor Olivia breathe? You know, I mean, it, just on hearing that, it's it's we get a sense of it, but um, I mean, do we know that it's it's as I am a man, uh, Orsino's screwed, and I'm screwed for Orsino. You know, I'm not going to get my thing. Orsino's not going to get his thing, and as I am mm -hmm. a woman. Mm -hmm the same thing you know for olivia that she is also missed out and it's it's kind of an extension of this concern for them you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes she is more worried in a sense about their feelings than her own but is also just facing the fact that it's well, on both <laughs> sides of the coin we get, we get taken up in these forms everywhere these disguises and they plant their seeds across mm -hmm. the gender aisle mm -hmm. you know uh, and 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 mess us all up mm -hmm. and you know we are well aware now again in the 21st century uh, much more than we were say in the last hundred years but but I suspect in Shakespeare's day, gender was kind of more mutable than it was, say, when I grew up in the 60s, where there were men, there were women, that was it, to the point where it took on kind of spiritual dimensions. If you, you know, look into some forms of yoga and other stuff, that that interaction between those two binaries creates this sort of tension, this sort of uh, polarity. But we know that that's not true, which I find fascinating and wonderful. And this is really an exploration of that, of can we really be so sure that we understood what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman when 
it's obvious that that it's easy for those things to change and shift depending on how others view us and how we view ourselves. And I know and I understand why Viola can be a huge inspiration for people exploring their gender identity, for people who are non-binary to come across a character like Viola Cesario in a Shakespeare play has probably won over, I don't know how many wonderful, wonderful Shakespeare aficionados and performers who were non-gender conforming because they meet Viola. And she says this right here. Uh, I'm not really a man. I'm not really a woman here. What am I? How do I handle other people's expectations of me based on the way they are perceiving me? that is limited and yet I love them and I care for them all and still they are not seeing the real me. So I think for this reason I would never ever tell people not to do this monologue. It's a wonderful monologue. It's beautiful. Just find the beats. Use the beats. Um, I think a lot of actors, and you two tell me about this because uh, sometimes when I'm getting an audition, I can sense that there's that there's more to the actor than is coming through in that moment. You know, maybe they're nervous, maybe they didn't get their chocolate that morning, whatever. And I will ask them to take it just like way over the top. I feel like sometimes actors will really pull back in an audition they don't want to appear to be chewing the scenery or anything like that but I almost always ask them to take it up a notch especially mm. in this age of zoom auditions I think um, I would really counsel actors to really invest their monologues with emotions what about you two what do you find with auditions do you feel like the actors hold back a little bit or do you feel like they they tend to go overboard what's your experience you want to go first Don? Uh, no but i will uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, i i haven't done auditions uh for the zoom saying um i have mercilessly poached and people than myself, um, only to, uh, especially in the beginning, you know, you don't know how long this thing's gonna last and all that. So I was, I think I was avoiding coming up with specific mm -hmm. modalities and that kind of thing. But, well, but let's say before, yeah. before the Zoom thing though, mm, yeah. when you were auditioning actors, just in real life, I, I'm, you know, really asking about that. Uh, did you find that they tended to hold back a little bit, perhaps out of nervousness, or do you feel like they really felt comfortable kind of giving their all in an audition? That is a huge question. That's a huge question. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> no, well, I mean, I'm We've just, made I'm John trying speechless. speechless. <laughs> but, um, you know, the context is, is key. So, um, for a lot of years, we had an amazing ensemble. And so that was, we trained each week together. Mm -hmm. It was uh, a very mm -hmm. specific. Got it. 
God, I understand. So you had a community of actors. Fearless, and that was that yeah. that group, and they they were. So That's if anything, <clears throat> pardon me, it was the opposite um, in <laughs> in those auditions because, mm-hmm. I mean, it was climbing the yes. rafters. Yes. You know? Yes. And because they were comfortable, they already felt part of the, the company. It was a company, and full, so full company. Even yeah. though they, so. the company, so they, so they, they were part of the company. So they already and, had that. Yeah, well, and training. Sense, so we were really. I, I, I mean, it was a you know my physical shape, notwithstanding. These were athletes, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these guys were to a person just athletes mm-hmm. in the theater, and it, sort of later, mm-hmm. um, and I, I have a core group of actors that I work with now for different projects but i don't i'm I, I don't do theater as a dedicated uh thing i, I do it multiple times a year mm-hmm. but just not and that's it's not my daily bread and butter um so the uh, so that becomes more about auditions and in my area it's very much about uh you know with a limited pool of actors and people um it's it's very much about um uh right developing relationships um and I find a lot of time that I adjust, um, I build, I build what, what what can be done, you know, and 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 create my uh, I sort of season based on the the highest possible outcome I can get from what I have, you know. Mm. Yeah. So from what you have, yeah. and that that makes a great deal of sense. It it's it's like when you're cooking. Yeah. And yeah. you look and see and what luckily, you've got in the cupboard, and you make the really best possible meal out of the ingredients. Know I do happen to know them, but and um, you have some great yeah. ingredients. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that is a really important point because a lot of community theaters work in that way, and it's incredibly successful. And certainly that was the way Shakespeare worked. He had a company, he wrote parts for those actors, and knew what he could get out of them. Uh, Bridget, is that a similar thing yeah, for you? Yeah, we have the um, original a sort practice? of a core company of folks who have been with us um, from the beginning, and then we have had people come in and out as we go. And so we don't do a traditional mm-hmm. audition process. What we do is we do something we call audition workshops, where we will do two sessions, mm. um, and we invite people to pick a session. A lot of times people pick both. And it's really, it's almost like a chemistry read. You know, so we, my, my producing mm-hmm. partner's background is improv um, and long form improv. So he, you know, brings a lot of uh, long form improv exercises into the room and it's, you know, we play and then maybe we'll pluck a couple of scenes out of the play that we're doing that year. And just, you know, without regard to type or gender or anything like that, just sort of throw some different mm-hmm. uh, combinations together and see what they come up with. And, you know, some of these folks have been acting together for years and years and years. So things go <laughs> in ridiculous right. directions very quickly, um, you know, and so it's an opportunity. We don't really worry about, we don't have people do monologues. We don't worry about necessarily even an understanding of the text for new people because we can teach that i can Mm -hmm. we can teach the rhetoric we can teach the meter we can you know bring out the shakespeare dictionary um it's much more for us because Mm -hmm. of the core principles that we're based around it's much more for us about your willingness to play um your willingness to trust right um your willingness to say yes and really you know to bring that improv back in there Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
So you two don't don't go through what I'm going through right now. Yeah, that's, where I'm that's, that's nuts. I mean, we'll, we'll hold, you know, like for a, a few years back, I did a big thing in the park for mm -hmm. Henry and, and we did Twelfth Night. Mm -hmm. That was the uh, um, sort of more mm -hmm. kind of family uh, mm -hmm. uh, centered versions. And so we had like two huge days of your normal kind of mm -hmm. Shakespeare auditions and, you know, people out there. And it's, it's I think, Bridget, like you say, mm -hmm. it's kind of your classic stuff, your chemistry stuff um, and your... Um, you're looking for the yes and, and, you know, for mm -hmm. us, I always tend to, uh, in opposition to my own personal expectations for myself, I, I uh, look at the physical spectrum, uh, their capabilities, because I, I really do like to, to keep things grounded in the physical, um, just because it's so, it's so easy to lose your way, especially mm -hmm. in Shakespeare, you know, if you're, if you just get someone up there saying it and they oh, and yes. you move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So it, really people that understand yes. those physical connections to mm -hmm. those different sources, you know, for, for, mm -hmm. and th some of that you can again teach and some of that is, you know, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. That's good to see. But on Zoom, I mean, that's, you know, it's a little Our, different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on Zoom, it's a very different. And like audio this. is very different. And still, <laughs> you, well, and you have to kind of mm -hmm. convey the physicality with your voice, which is a mm -hmm. whole other kind of skill. All right. Well, thank you. I think that uh, that wraps mm. up this scene of Act 2, Scene 2. Uh, the next scene, Act 2, Scene 3, will be in Olivia's house. And this has to be one of my oh favorite boy. scenes in all of Shakespeare, where uh, Toby and Andrew Aguecheek and Festy <laughs> get into some trouble. <laughs> 